That's right. It is Bet LA here on 710 ESPN LA, getting you ready for the Players' Championship, a.k.a. the fifth major. Okay, if some folks want to call it. Keith Stewart joins us now on the show. Um, PGA Tour Pro, uh, also host Read the Lines. He's got his own ESPN show here in the New Jersey area. So Keith, first things first, like this is just the beginning of the East Coast swing and it's really important. Kind of let our our listeners out there know, like, so so for example, John Rahm just destroyed the West Coast, had a prolific start of this season, but really did not do well at Bay Hill. Just a different style of golf, different style of grass. Please explain that to our listeners. Well, probably the biggest difference is going to be the weather and not necessarily the way it pertains to uh, the, the conditions that they play in, wind, rain, et cetera, but the way that the grass grows. The agronomy is totally different in Florida, and that's the fancy word for grass. And at the end of the day, John is really good, and he showed last week that if he doesn't have to put the ball and play off the tee, he could be super dominant with his iron game, and he's been scoring very well. Well, as soon as they forced him to put it, to put it in the fairway and not be in the rough like last week at Bay Hill, he has problems. And, you know, it's cooler out there on the West Coast, so we're not getting the thick rough. We're getting bumpy polo greens. We're, we're getting different types of conditions. You come down here to Florida and you have that Bermuda rough or the ryegrass overseed from last week or what I'm looking at this week on property at the players. It is, these are lush summertime golf courses, and you need to be really on point with where you're putting the golf ball. Absolutely. So you are in and, and great point. Like you are there. You are. And I love it for the third week. Right. You are eyes and ears on the ground for us. Um, I, I full disclosure, I, I grew up in South Florida. I lived in Jacksonville for three years. I worked for the PJ tour. I got to play sawgrass for cart fees when I was there. I, I'm, I don't even want to tell you how many times um, I have snuck onto that 17th hole after work, but, um, you know, what, 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 what does this golf course look like right now? What is the weather expectations heading into Thursday and throughout the weekend? What can you tell us? Well, it's funny today. The wind is really blowing. You're not getting a good practice round day. It, honestly, Anita, if, if today were round one, they probably would have suspended play. That's how hard it's blowing down here today. Oh, wow. It's going to blow okay. out. It, it's, I'm telling you, it is, it was I mean, it's gusting like 40 today down here. You know, we're as you know, we're only like a mile and a half from the Atlantic coast. So mm-hmm. most people don't know that. It looks like a parkland golf course with a lot of water, but, you know, it's really not. It's We are right there in Jacksonville or Ponte Vedra Beach near the beach. So, But the golf course is perfect. This is their shrine to golf for the PGA Tour. This is their flagship facility. They've got sub-air systems under the greens. They've got every trick in the book with which to make this place play perfectly and it's going to temperatures are going to be in the mid 70s this wind is going to go away today we're going to get a little rain on friday night but overall breezes are just going to be in the mid-teens cloud cover is going to be there it's really going to come down to the leading characters this year are going to be the golfers and the weather is going to play a supporting role which is really really good Okay, so let's dive into it, Keith. You know, you and I always talk about, like, what are the metrics that we keep an eye on? What do we look for? Obviously, this is a Pete Dye-designed course. We just talked about the grass, the fact that it's Bermuda. Um, You know, I'm looking at, you know, ball strikers, uh, shots gained on approach, greens and regulation, and I'm curious, I'm looking also at, and you're talking about the winds, and even though they're 40 miles per hour, um, you know, now not necessarily throughout 
the the weekend, uh, later part of the week in the weekend. But I'm still looking at at AMT times. Again, born and raised in Florida, winds pick up in the afternoon. So that's what I'm looking at. What 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 are you? What metrics are you looking at in handicapping this week's event? Well, you're always right on, Anita. You are on the mark when it comes to using approach first and foremost. <laughs> uh, let's, let, let's talk a little bit first about the golf tournament itself and when it's been played. I mean, this is a really important note for your fans and listeners, right? From 2007 to 2018, this tournament was played in May, which means it was Bermuda grass rough, it was Bermuda greens. Uh, it was really firm and fast. It was much more difficult. Over the last four years, three of which we played a tournament, one was COVID, was canceled, right? We are playing in March, so they are much different conditions. It's a, it's a rye overseed in the rough. We have Poet Trivialis overseed on the greens. Everything's a lot smoother, a little more predictable. going to play a lot more like Bay Hill. And as a result, I think that the golf course plays a little bit easier than it does in May. So I'm really focused on two areas outside of approach and that is the first one is putting. Over those last three editions, putting and strokes gained putting, the winners have gained more strokes there against the field than they have around the green and off the tee combined. Think about that, Anita, right? More than off the tee and around the green combined with the flat stick, and, of course, strokes gained approach was your number one winning category with which they differentiate themselves. Ten of the holes, here's, here's a cool thing for you. 10 of the holes here have a birdie rate over 15%, but 12 of the holes have a bogey rate over 15%. I mean, and this is the perfect description of a Pete Dye masterpiece, right? It, it is always risk reward. He's constantly putting questions in your face. Do you want to go for it or do you want to play conservative? And that type of mix, that bogey versus birdie percentage is why I'm really focusing on things like bogey avoidance this week and birdie or better percentage. Because those four par fives, those short par fours, you've got to make a ton of birdies. Scoring is going to be around 14 under for this tournament with the weather the way it looks like it's going to work out. And at the end of the day, people are going to trip up. You've got 17 holes that have water penalty areas of the 18 that they're going to play. There's going to be bogeys, double bogeys. How can you balance that alongside great iron play with your wedges and roll the ball? Those are the metrics that I'm really magnifying in my model this week and I'm looking towards Anita. All right. Uh, again, Keith Stewart joining us here on ESPN, uh, really a, a deep dive into that players championship. So with that being said, um, and, and, and let's go back and forth. Okay. Because I've, 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 I've already gone to the window. So I'm curious if, if we're on the same page here in regard to winners, give me, give me two or three guys that you feel pretty confident uh, in, in regard to winning. $25 million on the line. I got to pick one of the big three. I love Scotty Scheffler this week of he, Rom, and Rory. So I'm going to start there at the top of the board. How, who do you have at the top of the board? I got Homa. Tied for 13 here last year. Shot a 66 on the final day on Sunday. Tied for 14th at Bay Hill. Has more strokes gained in every category than any other golfer. First in strokes gained on approach his last 24 rounds. Um, and, and is a good course fit and you could get him at 22 to one so you're going so you're going scotty i'm gonna go home but in, in that in that range right when we start to get the max and maybe a little bit higher there's two guys that i really love the first one's matt fitzpatrick and you're gonna get him right at around 3800 and then the mm-hmm. other guy which is a little higher than that and i loved what happened at bay hill last week when he didn't win and that's jordan speed his press conference yesterday in the media center 
He was so uber confident. It's scary. And I know the course history is not there. And I know the media is going to malign him for his putting. But he is striking the golf ball better than he ever has in his career. And this is a three-time major winner. So those are my two guys in that mid-tier range. Um, I, I like it. Another guy that I like that um, that okay. So so all right. So I'm on Homa. You're on Spieth, Fitz, and 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 Spieth. Uh, who do you like to finish in, in the top five? Who are you aiming to finish in the top five? Scheffler. Okay. 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 I thought you had Scott. I thought you had him as is winning. I do, but I also have him as a top five pick as well. Because okay, I, I guess my question. I guess my question to you is: is top five. Yeah, I guess my question to you is: anybody, anybody outside of Scotty Fitz and Spieth that you like to finish in the top five? No, I'm not going to play that market. Okay, I, I like I like Keegan Bradley. Great ball striker, plus six and a half strokes last week. Um, great finish at Bay Hill. On Sunday, of course, he finished tied for 10th. He thrives on Pete Dye courses. He's been putting a lot better, and he's made five straight cuts here. Tied for 7th back in 2018, was 5th last year. So for me, I'm going, I'm going Bradley to finish uh, in, the top, in the top five at 9-1. to one. Anybody you like to finish in the top 10? Top 10, I'm, I'm going to take Roars. You're taking Rory to finish? On the board. In the top okay. 10, yes. I'd like Jason Day to finish in the top 10. You get him at plus 280. Tied for 10th last week. Nine top 25s in his last 10 starts. He won here in 2010. And I'm actually, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm using that Pete Dye, who are Pete Dye course guys, and, and Day is one of them. Um, who, who, give, me, give me a few guys or, or a guy or two that you think that you like to finish in the top 20 this week. I'll give you three good ones at plus money that I know I'm going to cash on. First one, okay. JT. You can get him at plus 110. Great history. We all know the stats. Second mm-hmm. one, Jason Day. Everybody's on him this week. He started the week Monday at 40 to 1 to win. He's now in the low 20s, right? So everybody loves him. Plus 135, top 20. And the third one, I love plus 225. I love Corey Connors. He's striking the ball great. Yes, the putter has to be better, but. He's a big game player. And Corey showed up last week when the golf course was tough. The golf course is tough this week. I like Corey to finish in the top 20. I'm with you. Uh, That's my guy to finish in the top 20 as well. Uh, His second best golfer in strokes gained on Pete Dye courses. Loves Sawgrass. Three for three in regard to cuts made and in a top seven finish here. So I'm with you. I love Corey Connors. Last but not least, any guys that you're eyeing to finish in the top 40? Here's, a, here's two good ones for you. I've been milking this guy all, all winter. His name is Thomas Dietrich, plus 230. You can get him to be in the top 40. The, the guy's finished in the top 40 since 2023 started. He hasn't missed one yet. Certainly hasn't even come close to missing a cut. And the other guy, this guy came back last year around this time, and he almost won the Valspar. He's a good Florida player. Great college player, Davis Riley. He popped last week at Bay Hill. You can get him at plus 210 to finish top 40. And his game suits Sawgrass as good as anybody here. And, of course, Pete Dye as well. I'm with you. That's the guy that I have in the top 40 as well. You can get him at plus 175. Top 10 at Bay Hill last week. Shot a 66 on that Sunday round. And also, course comparables, um, the, the Wyndham 
right? Um, he finished tied for 13th, and that and that course translates extremely well. Golfers who do well at at the Wyndham tournament do well, typically do well here at uh, at uh, Sawgrass. So I as well have him. I know folks out there might be, oh, these two have. They talked earlier, but yes, um, I've got Riley as well. Uh, before we let you go, any any final thoughts? Um, also, any matchups that uh, that you're going to be playing this week? Well, I tell you, I've seen a couple limp animals on the range. I'm not going to lie to you, as I've walked for the last couple of days, and by that I mean that if we if you want to pick a couple wolves out there and attack and make some money in the head-to-head market for this tournament, Brian Harmon is just, he's in need of a tourniquet. His approach game is bleeding profusely. And Harris English is listed against him on points bet for the tournament at minus 110. That's one that I'm all over. Harris, great finish last week, has been playing well on the West Coast. Uh, just a very, very good player, all-around good player. And Harmon, everyone thinks he has great course history here, which he does, don't get me wrong, but he's really struggling right now. And the other guy is Sam Burns. I don't know where Sam Burns is, but the guy that's out here at the Players' Championship is not the same guy. I walked with him last week because I loved, I loved Jordan. You know, I love to follow him. Saw him last week. He was playing with Jordan and Chris Kirk. Sam was not very good. He, too, is in search of his game right now. And he's going up against Chris Kirk, who's had two third places and a win already this year. Minus 115 on points bet as well. There's a couple really good savvy matches right there on points bet that I know we're probably going to win by Friday, Anita. Great stuff as always, Keith. You rock, and and please know how blessed we are um, that uh, that we've got you on the ground, eyes and ears, all the things. So thank you so much, my friend. Any more questions before we go? I'm here. No, no. Actually, actually, do me do me a favor before we let you go. Throw out because I, you know I want folks to follow you throughout the tournament. So throw out your Twitter handle, all the ways that folks can follow you and in, in, in you know uh, get your picks and in more information as you're out there for this tournament? Well, the best way to follow me is through read the line and that's at read the line on Instagram, on Twitter. And, you know, I love making my TikTok videos with my Friday live ads and any of the content that you want to find, go to read the line.com subscribe. You'll get my weekly newsletter. Nita, that's how you and I met. You're an avid reader. I know you love my content and everybody, you know what? We've been winning. Anita, we've been winning. Chris Kirk at the Honda. I had Jin Young Co last week. I do LPGA betting as well. Two for two. We're going to get our third one at Read the Line this week. Thanks so much for having me on. You got it. Appreciate you, my friend. I love it. Feeding the winners. Feeding you winners. The Players' Championship. Teen off really early tomorrow morning. So get locked and loaded. Get those bets in. Um, like I said, I, I really, I'm all over Homa and Keegan Bradley. We'll see if they can bring it home for us. Anita Marks with you. Bet LA here on 710 ESPN LA. Brian, I feel like our, our, our music content has changed tremendously um, since, since we started the program earlier. Uh, by the way, uh, when we started the program, I told you Raptors, Clifters under 227. Right now it's 101 to 87 with about four minutes left. So we, we're, we're, we're in the realm. We're, we're in the realm of that potentially happening. So, um, so let's, let's, let's definitely root for that. Also, I had, uh, Northern Arizona. They are losing, but I had Northern Arizona plus seven and a half. Uh, they're losing right now to Montana state 36 to 31. Uh, but, uh, but hopefully they will cover also, uh, we've got Oregon state 
down by four to Arizona State. I like them getting the 11. Um, and obviously, that's they, they just kicked off. So there is that. Uh, we still have a lot more coming your way this show. Really excited to dive into the XFL. Are you guys watching the XFL, by the way? No. No. <laughs> oh, okay. Haven't. Well, <laughs> well, I guess, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm wait. I guess a big reason why I'm, I'm watching it is because I'm wagering on it. So, so there's that. Uh, but it, it actually, it's, it's not half bad. And um, so uh, we, we, we're, we're gonna get you locked and loaded for the XFL. Also, uh, and, and it is, and we are heading into week four, by the way, of the XFL. So that's cool. Um, there are eight teams, uh, the Houston Roughnecks are the best team. The Orlando guardians are the worst team. They take on each other this week and the Roughnecks are, are lane eight and a half. Uh, to me, that's my best bet, uh, but we're going to dive into all those games. We're going to break down all four games for you next. Also very, I'm like, <laughs> what world do we live in now that we can actually wager and gamble on the Oscars? How awesome is that? Uh, Casey, how? Uh, who works for Backstage, is going to join us on the program uh, to give us some inside information. Not that she knows who's going to win or not, but just somebody who's more in the know when it comes to, uh, you know, Hollywood in movies on who she thinks could pull some upsets. So still a lot more coming your way. You're listening to Bet LA here on 710 ESPN LA. Welcome back to 710 ESPN LA. You're listening to Bet LA. I'm Anita Marks, and it is week four of the XFL season, which means we are getting you locked in, loaded to win you some more money. Tom Luganbill joins me now. He's part of our ESPN team who covers the XFL. All right, Tom, uh, let's dive right into it. Before we start looking at week four, I want to share with you my week four power rankings heading in. And if there's something right. you disagree with, you're, you're, you're not going to hurt my feelings at all. I promise. Um, <laughs> just curious right. if we're just curious if we're, if we're, on, <laughs> it's something fun I do on daily wager each and every week. Um, so here we go. Number one, I've got the roughnecks at one. Uh, they're three and zero. Of course, they're eight and zero. Big picture here is you and I uh, became quite friendly prior to the pandemic uh, when the XFL was in play. Yeah. So um, they're they're still unbeaten. Number two, I have the Defenders. Again, they're three and zero. They move up a spot. The Battlehawks, I moved down a spot. They're two and one. The Renegades, they beat Orlando, but only by one point. What the heck happened there? That was my best bet last week. I laid the eight and a half. <laughs> I I no, I lost. Um, at, uh, at five, I've got the dragons. They're one and two, but very easily could be three and O oh. I've got the Brahmas at six. I've got the Vipers at seven and, and the guardians, even though again, they kept it close against the renegades. Uh, I, I think we're on agreement here. They're the worst team in the, in, in the XFL. So I do have them at eight. So with that being said, any, anything that I, I shared here that you disagree with, or you strongly agree with, what's your thoughts on my power ranking? You know, nothing really glaring that I would strongly agree with. You know, the one thing with your top two teams, and I would actually – I've had D.C. three times um, in the first three weeks, so I've gotten very familiar with them. Um, and I would agree with you having Houston slightly over just because Houston hasn't done the things that everybody else seems to do in the league and that shoot themselves in the foot early, whether it's turnovers, whether it's penalties – where it's really spotty offensive line play, which is starting to get cleaned up as each and every week goes by. 
Houston, particularly, I was going to mention this with their coaching staff when we visit. Everybody else looks like they've played for three weeks on offense. Houston looks like they've been playing for five weeks. And then on top of it, they're essentially number one in the league in every defensive category that matters, right? Creating turnovers, tackles for loss, um, you name it, they're, they're in the tops of the league. The reason why I like D.C. at two, and I could make an argument for them at one, but I love your order, is because they're the only team in the league, and this is professional football. Professional football, you generally don't have to, from a defensive perspective, deal with college-style offenses where the quarterback is a major threat to run all the time. And that's what D.C. can do. That's what makes D.C. difficult, is they can run the football with the running clock rules. It really shortens the game. And then the quarterback has been, whether it's Jordan Tahamu or Derek King, has been a real problem for the opponent to uh, be able to slow down. I think the one team in the league that, uh, because I don't disagree with you on St. Louis, uh, but they've had their, you know, they hadn't turned the ball over at all going into week three, and then they turned it over four times on the road against D.C. last week. But the team that I think has a chance, because I think they've got really good players, and I think June Jones knows what he's doing offensively for this league, is Seattle. If Seattle can avoid the turnover bug, they got that big win against uh, Vegas on the road last week. If they can somehow get on track, they're the one team that I think, with their coaching staff, with the NFL experience that they have on that roster, they could see some growth here in the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. And, and also, um, you know, I, here's another one before I look big picture here, cause I was going to ask you some things in, in regard to like how the season plays out and how many teams make it to the championship and whatnot. But like, even though the Vipers are sitting there at Owen three, you know, the fact that they, they added Brett Hundley as their quarterback and he showed promise last week. I think yeah. I think the Vipers. I think they're another team that I feel a lot better than their record indicates. Agree or disagree? I do agree, and they need Brett Hundley to get settled in. You know, I had them in week mm-hmm. two in their opener in a driving rainstorm, twenty-five mile an hour wind, just horrendous conditions. And Brett Hundley had only been there for two and a half, three weeks, and they decide to to play him, give him some valuable reps, and it was clear that they are going to probably start to commit to him full-time. So the more he gets entrenched in the offense, the, the, the better off they are going to be because they have guys on defense that can rush the passer. And that's the, the other thing in this league. I, I look at Houston, okay, and, and I look at Vegas from a pass rush perspective. When you're, you're dealing with supplemental professional football and the most difficult position to get to gel together is the offensive line, that's your biggest concern. If you can rush the passer early, you've got distinct advantages, especially if the quarterback on the other team is maybe still trying to kind of feel, feel their way a little bit. We've seen that with Orlando. They haven't quite figured it out at quarterback. We've now seen Arlington with two different quarterbacks, Vegas with two quarterbacks. D.C.'s doing it by design. It's very, very successful. So if you can rush the passer, then I think you give yourself a chance if you protect your, the football on offense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, before we start looking at, at, at the week four matchups, big picture here, uh, the DC defenders favored to win the championship at plus 225. Pretty surprising. Houston plus 250. 
Uh, the Battlehawks, 5-1. to one. Renegades, plus 650. Sea Dragons, plus 750. San Antonio, 10-1. to one. Um, With that being said, kind of explain to our, our listeners out there as the season unfolds, there are only eight teams, but half the league make it to the postseason, right? No, just, yeah, just, yes, half the league, top two teams in the North and South Division uh, will make will make it to the playoffs. So you're not out of it for a bit, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, this week this week's going to say a lot. Um, you know, I know Orlando was close, you know, last week, played their best game of the season, but they still shot themselves in the foot, lose by one point, as you referenced, at Arlington, and now they've got to play Houston, who they've already played in the opener, so there's some familiarity there. As I look across the league and I'm, and I'm watching the teams, and like I said, I've seen 3-0 D.C. three times now. I've seen St. Louis in person, um, have seen Seattle, and then I spent the last you know, few days watching Houston and Orlando. In my opinion, Houston has the best overall roster in terms of talent. They have the most team speed on offense. They've proven to be the most dialed-in, well-oiled machine on offense. And defensively, they've opted from a personnel perspective to maybe go away from size and strength and go to speed, suddenness, and explosiveness. So, like, they're not the biggest defense, but they're creating the most havoc because of how they're designed. And if they stay healthy, and that's the other thing in all of this, you've got small rosters and, you know, the drop-off between one guy if he goes down and the next guy could be significant – how often do you have to hit the waiver wire? How often do you have to look at the transactions every day to see if you can improve your football team? But if Houston stays healthy, um, they're the team, in my opinion, because they've got the best players that will start to rise, I think, is the favorite to win the championship. And right now you could get them at plus 250. Plus 250 is the D.C. defenders are the ones that are favored here uh, to win the championship. Um Tom Luganbill is joining us. Uh, he's going to be your game this week is going to be um, the uh, the Houston uh, Orlando game, and that's the first game Correct. out of the four this week. Saturday, seven o'clock Eastern time. That is kickoff. Uh, Houston is favored by eight and a half. Again, last time they played Orlando, they beat them 30, 33 to 12. One would look back to last week's game against the Renegades and say, well, maybe Orlando's brought it together a little bit. They look like, you know, Terrell Buckley was ready to resign. There was, there was some turmoil in the locker room, um, heading into, uh, into this matchup, uh, the over under is 37 and a half. How do you see this game playing out this week? Well, the one thing, if there's a silver lining with Orlando, the one thing they can do is run the ball, and they can run it effectively. What's killed them, and by the way, they're, the only, they're either one of two teams or the only team in the league that's actually scored a touchdown on the opening possession of each of their three games. But then from that point on, they seem to go downhill. And it's because they turn the ball over. They'll, they'll, they'll mount a drive and then get inside the 10-yard line, fumble the ball, or you know, get inside the 25-yard line, throw an interception. So they've been their own worst enemy. But again, they can run the ball, and the, and they're they're really good uh, in the in, in the offensive line, guard center to guard. So I think the game plan, um, if you want, if if you're looking at taking the over on that one, which I think what is 35 and a half or 37.5, yeah, 35 uh, seven and a hook. So to me, like the the issue that I would have with taking the under there is I don't see Houston slowing down, and if they were to go out and, and crank out another another 
30, which they're more than capable of doing, 33 the first, the first time. And I think Orlando is improving on offense. If they can crank in another 10, I, I wouldn't go with the young. That's just my opinion on this one. Um, because I think Houston could take care of the vast majority of that number. Got you. Uh, Silvers, their quarterback, 278 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, the uh, the chemistry between him and Kirkland it has, has really been impressive. So um, so Houston, again, going up against Orlando. Houston's favored by eight and a half. That is my side. That's how I would play it. And, of course, Tom is saying the over could be a solid play as well at 37 and a half. Later on, Saturday night, 10 o'clock Eastern time, kickoff San Antonio Heinz Ward, his team going up against the Seattle Sea Dragons. Sea uh, Dragons favored by four and a half. The over-under here is at 40 and a half. Like I said, I think the Sea Dragons team is a lot better than what their record indicates. Um, and as you pointed out, a lot of NFL talent on that team, Danucci and uh, Josh Gordon, we're seeing that chemistry develop after three games. I'm leaning Seattle minus four and a half. The over-under is 40 and a half. How do you see this one playing out? I actually like that call as well. I really do. I think Seattle's better than their record. They're a team that's built and looks on film a lot like Houston looks. The difference is Houston hasn't turned the ball over and made mistakes, and Seattle has. And so I think, as I mentioned earlier, they're the team um, that I feel really, really good about. And it's interesting, too, because we've seen some of these scores. This is why this league's so difficult to handicap. We've seen 21-17, Like We've seen that number or those, that, that end game hover around uh, that, that outcome of a number. And so when you start to see minus four, I'm sitting there going, oh, my goodness, man. I mean, I feel like everybody in this league could be within that number. But uh, I, do, I do barely like Houston here. Excuse me, uh, Seattle here. Um, and then on Sunday, we've got two more games. Arlington, the Renegades, Bob Stoops team going up against the St. Louis Battlehawks. A.J. McCarron, uh, the quarterback of that team. Um, St. Louis finally at home, right, Tom? Their first three games were yeah. on the road. And, and from what I understand, they're expecting 30,000 fan base expected in that game so or, or to attend that game. And, and the Renegades... Uh, with with some major injuries this past week, right? Losing one of their best corners. I, I lean here. I, I, I'm I'm okay leaning, laying the four with the Battle Hawks. The over under is thirty six and a half. Um, you know your 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 thoughts of the Battle Battle Hawks finally at home and, and what 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 is uh, what's the XFL anticipating? I mean that's a really impressive fan base of thirty thousand if that's truly what they're expecting. Yeah, and I, to be honest with you, they might get a little bit more. Uh, the word out there is that they're considering open some portions of the upper upper deck on, on both sides. And, and in 2020, they drew really, really well. And so not not unexpected, but, you know, highly anticipated because they've been on the road for the first three mm-hmm. weeks. And so I think, that's the, I think that's Arlington's biggest challenge is can they deal with the road? You know, I, you know unlike the NFL, unlike a lot of college football venues, it's not as if every time you go on the road you're going to have to deal with communication issues right well maybe in in this particular setting and and certainly in dc too i mean dc packed the house last week at the game i was at made it very difficult on st louis with their communication and i think st louis rebounds well i have no problem laying on on st louis as well i think a lot of it is because the environment and last but not least you got the vipers going up against the dc defenders a team obviously that you just pointed out you know extremely well dc at home that snake (laughs) <laughs> that's what the is it the, 
the beer snake front and foremost. The DC Defenders favored by six. The over-under is at 41. I kind of, I lean towards the Vipers covering, so I'm kind of leaning towards the Vipers getting the six. But to me, this game is somewhat of a a toss-up, so I'm really curious uh, how you would play this. So having this game two weeks ago between these two teams, and I referenced earlier about Vegas, how how impressive they are as a pass rushing team. So the first half of their first game, um, they, they, DC just couldn't get anything going. And Vegas was having their way. Their defensive front was teeing off the whole nine yards. And then De'Eric King came into the game. And all of a sudden, DC looked like a college football team with a dual-threat quarterback and started – running quarterback power, quarterback counter, zone read, RPO, and completely neutralized Vegas on defense. Vegas did not know which way was up. They did not have a plan. They, they made no adjustments. And the game completely got away from them in the second half. And so what I'm looking at from the Vegas perspective is if they have a plan to stop quarterback run, this is going to be a very, very close game. If they still struggle to stop quarterback run, then I think D.C. could win this by eight or more. Great stuff as always, Tom. So appreciate you. Uh, in, enjoy the uh, Houston-Orlando game. Hopefully it'll be some somewhat competitive as uh, you're talking about the best team in the XFL going up against arguably the worst team in, in the XFL. But so appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you. You bet. Thanks, Anita. All right, I want to thank Tom for joining us. Now you are locked and loaded. Week four of the XFL season. Hopefully we've given you four solid winners. When we get back, we're switching gears, and I mean like big gears. It is L.A. Not only is Selection Sunday coming your way uh, this Sunday, but also the Oscars, the 95th edition. And guess what? You can wager on the Oscars. Casey Howell is going to join us, little insider on how to make some money on the Oscars. That next, right here on 710 ESPN LA. Welcome back to 710 ESPN LA. It is Bet LA and really excited about this segment. Good friend of mine, Casey Howe, joins us. She is the executive director of film and TV at Backstage and she is going to share with us how we can bet on the Oscars, the 95th edition coming your way this Sunday. Are you going to watch? Are you going to watch Selection Sunday? Are you going to watch the Oscars? Um, you can wager on the Oscars, so I would imagine many people would. So, with that being said, Casey, let's start first and foremost. There's a lot we're going to dive into. Let's start with Best Actor in a Leading Role, right? Uh, so, uh, Brendan Fraser uh, from The Whale is favored at minus one sixty-five. Colin Farrell with the Banshees, of course, he's at twelve to one. Austin Butler with Elvis is plus one twenty. How are you playing this? So, I mean, I always like to look at um, the past awards that they've won this season. And really, Brendan Fraser is just, I mean, the favorite. I mean, they, you know, when we're talking horse, horse races, I'm, I'm putting him at, you know, one to five favorite going off. Um, he's just won the Critics' Choice and the SAG Awards and is by, by far uh, has all the momentum. So, so okay. And, and again, favored at minus 165. So what does that mean? It means you're laying $165 down to win $100. So uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not a lot of juice. So, okay, I'll take a gamble on that. 
Um, let's talk about performance by the best supporting actor in a role. And obviously everything, everywhere, all at once is getting a lot of love. Um, and, and, uh, Quan is, is favored. Uh, also the Banshee's getting a lot of love. So, you know, the supporting actor there is favored, not favored, but, but you can get him at 14 to one at looking at best supporting actor. Where are you, where are you rolling? You know, I think if you are looking to win, you have to go with Quan. Um, I think if you're looking to maybe get lucky with a little extra uh, money, you know, I think that the Banshees candidates sometimes tend to, if you have two in one category, tend to um, cancel each other out with the vote. So you might get lucky with a little Fableman's love, but it's a long shot. Yeah, and, and, and to be quite honest, I'm staying away from this. Uh, Quan to win is 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 500 so you're 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 you have to lay 500 dollars down to win 100 dollars. um a little bit too much juice for me that very well could be uh you know money making money um no denying that uh let's look at best actress in a leading role and to me it's it's kind of it's very interesting you've got Kate Blanchett, obviously, for Tar, who's up there, and Michelle Yeh for everything, everywhere, all at once, and, and we know she's won already this season. She's the favorite at minus 140. Um, so with that being said, how are you rolling here, Casey? Yeah, so this is where you might be able to get some value, Anita. So uh, Kate Blanchett has a shot. So if you want to try and make a little money there, that's not a bad bet. Uh, Michelle is probably the you know the one who's going to win but Kate's got a real shot Oscar voters love her so that's um that's definitely an opportunity a much closer race than the other two at this point and again uh you could get it pretty much at even money um if you want to if you want to roll with uh, Michelle Yeh again everything everywhere all at once I know that if she wins um Jamie Lee Curtis will be happy again uh, and she's the favorite to win at minus 140 so again you're only laying 140 to win $100. Uh, let's look at Best Supporting Actress. And a few on this list who I'm usually, uh, I'm, I'm huge fans of. Angela Bassett, of course, for, for, for Black Panther. Wakanda Forever. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, again, part of Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. There's, there's quite a few, um, you know, nominees there. So, and, and this is pretty competitive because... Angela Bassett is plus 125, Casey. Jamie Lee Curtis is plus 150. So is is this a toss-up for you? Where, which, what side are you leaning on here? Yeah, you know, I think it is. Angela Bassett hasn't won an Oscar yet. Um, you know, so that's, that's definitely an opportunity there. They always kind of like that. Hong Chow is a big, uh, you know, Oscar voters just love her, and she's just fabulous and everything. So you never know. Maybe there's a dark horse. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis coming off that sag win, though, is pretty compelling. So um, that is a bit of a toss-up. I think that's one of the closer races that we're talking about. So this is, uh, of course, we're talking about actors, actresses, best supporting in both. Let's look bigger picture here, and let, let's let's look at some of the, the odds out there for director, best picture, costume, makeup, all that. So let's start with director, right? Like, Steven Spielberg obviously directing, you know, a, a film that is about his life, uh, The Fablemans. You could get that at six to one, and obviously a lot of love in this industry for him. Um, but that's not what's favored here. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once, which seems to be the darling of this year's awards. Uh, what would we call it? Arena um, is favored. 
at uh, at at minus is so you're laying you're laying a hundred you're you're laying twelve hundred dollars down um, to win a hundred. Spielberg could come in, sweep in, be a surprise, a huge upset at six to one. So number one, uh, where where do you think the value is here? And I'm curious to get your thoughts um, of of uh, the Fablemans and um, and you know your your thoughts of Steven Spielberg and. Uh, being able to to really create something that that really is is very personal and near and dear to him, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Fablemans, you know, it's it's like leaving uh, you know Chad Brown on the turf at six to one. You don't want to miss that. So uh, anyway, I wish I you know I think um, I think tossing out. You can see where my my love lies, Anita. But um, the Fablemans, look, it's Steven Spielberg. Don't count him out. There's definitely some value there. The other one that's gotten some love early in the season is um, Triangle of Sadness. That was really big at Cannes, huge, huge play in the festival circuit. So that's something that, you know, could be a dark horse that we don't know about, that you get those directors that are really excited about it. So definitely, uh, definitely a possibility there. And, you know, I wouldn't count Spielberg out ever when it comes to Oscar races. So I'm, I'm going to put some money on Spielberg again. You could get that at six to one. And uh, Triangle of Sadness, wow, that could be a nice payoff for you. That's 50 to 1, uh, just FYI. Uh, let's take a look at some of the costume design and some really fantastic work this season, right? Um, from, uh, you know, the Black Panther, Wakanda Forever to Elvis. So Elvis is favored at minus 165, Black Panther at plus 185. Um, Babylon really could, could pull a huge upset as well at 25 to one costume design, which way are you, which, which way are you, you rolling? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you go with Black Panther. I'm trying to, uh, and I apologize for not having this in front of me, Anita. Um, I'm trying to remember what, how they did the last time Black Panther movie was out when it comes to costume, but that's definitely a possibility there. That would be. Um, a nice play and definitely worthwhile. Babylon 2, it's in there. Um, I just, the Damien Chazelle movie of the year, which is what that is, was not necessarily as, as well received. So they might go overlooked entirely for something like a Black Panther um, versus Elvis. Uh, hair and makeup, Casey. Elvis favorite at minus two twenty five. The whale at plus one fifty. Where, where do you think? Where do you think the the Academy goes here? I think it's the whale. I think it's the whale. Um, there was a lot, a lot of work done there. I think they reward that that movie when it comes to hair and makeup. So maybe there's a little upside there for for the betters. And again, that's at plus one fifty. So there's some good money there. Uh, in regard to screenplay, um, adapted screenplay, women talking is favored at minus minus two fifty. Um, is is that is is that a way that you would roll? Yes, I think so. Um, they've been really winning a lot of the screenplay stuff, and rightfully so. It's a fantastic screenplay. Um, the other one, you know, you never know with All Quiet on the Western Front. It's such a beloved uh, book that maybe there is, um, you know, there's some, some love there from Oscar voters. And again, you could get that at plus 160. So if you're thinking that uh, All Quiet on the Western Front can pull the upset, it's plus 160. But Women Talking is favored at minus 250. Last but not least, original screenplay. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Favorite at minus 150. But I know you like the Banshees. You could get them at even money somewhere around plus 110. Tar is 21 to 1. Fablemans, 25 to 1. Triangle of Sadness, 35 to 1. Original screenplay. How you rolling, Casey? 
You know, I think it's one of those, if you want to win, I think everything everywhere all at once is certainly a heavy favorite. However, to your point, Anita, Banshees is fantastic. The Oscar voters do love Martin McDonald, and that's definitely an option. And then, you know, I if I when I'm going to put some money on this, I'm going to go with anything that Triangle of Sadness is uh, nominated for because that was a personal favorite. So why not? There you go. And last but not least, Casey, before we let you go, we end with the best, and that is Best Picture. Who wins the award? Everything, everywhere, all at once. A huge favorite. Uh, could anyone pull the upset? All Quiet on the Western Front, 10 to 1. The Banshees, 14 to 1. Uh, Top Gun, Maverick, 16 to 1. The Fablemans, 30 to 1. Tar, 50 to 1. Elvis, 65 to 1. Avatar, The Way of Water, 100 to 1. Women Talking, 200 to 1. Triangle Sadness, 200 to 1. Think anybody pulls the upset or does everything everywhere all at once uh, just swoop in and, uh, and dominate the Oscars on Sunday night? You know, I think it's going to be a big night for them. I think everything everywhere all at once uh, is is definitely um, on paper. That's what that's what it should be. However, as we talked about earlier, the Fablemans, the Fablemans is um, is Oscar catnip. So uh, it's a movie about movies and how wonderful they are. And you got Steven Spielberg there and a and a large cast. So you never know. Ooh, thirty to one, Casey. Could they pull the upset on Sunday <laughs> night? Only only time will tell. Uh, Casey, th- say, thank you so much for joining us. Really do appreciate it. Executive Director of Film and TV at, at Backstage, uh, giving us some insight. What a wonderful world it is, Casey, uh, that you could actually wager on the Oscars. So uh, so and thank you so much for your for your picks or should we call them plays heading into Sunday. Casey, thank you so much. Thanks, Anita. Thanks, Anita. Good luck, everybody. All right, I want to thank Casey Howell, again, Executive Director of Film and TV at Backstage for giving us some insight on how to wager. What a beautiful world we live in, right? That we can wager on the Oscars. Who would have ever thunk? Not me, uh, but it's happening. Anyway, so thank you, Casey. Um, We got you locked and loaded for the Oscars, uh, the XFL, Uh, Also, the Players' Championship taking place early tomorrow morning, so make sure you get your picks in ASAP. Uh, Rob Domoski joined us to talk, of course, about Aaron Rodgers. Could he possibly go to the Jets? Uh, Andre Snellings with some NBA. Fat Jack earlier in the show. We we got you ready for the remainder of the week and, and, and of course, heading into the weekend. So thank you so much for listening to Bet LA. We, We so appreciate it. Tyler and Brian, of course, producing the show. Appreciate you, Brian. Work on that music, my friend. Anyway, um... Happy International Women's Day out there to all the women who listen to 710 ESPN. Everybody have a fantastic rest of your week. Good luck this weekend. Uh, Excited for for Selection Sunday. We'll be here for you locked and loaded for March Madness as well. I'm Anita Marks. This is Bet LA here on 710 ESPN LA.